on today's episode of Gathering the Kings. So honest to God story, Shaz, I got onto Facebook and I said to everybody I know, and I've been online since 94, so I have a whole bunch of people on social. And I said, hey, I have an opportunity to do a show and uh, what should it be called? Yeah. Right. And within 48 hours, no joke, there's about 120 suggestions. And then people were chastising me like this was a Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, they were chastising me for having not selected yet. Oh. And so I, I, so I turned it to them and I said, look, you know what? I want plausible deniability. You guys pick the name, right? Yeah. And it ended up being The Rad Life. You are listening to Gathering the Kings with Chaz Wolf, featuring fellow seven, eight, and even nine-figure business owners who have real battle scars from business and life, but have prevailed as the king that they are designed to be. We welcome high-performing entrepreneurs to the stage in order to reveal the real of the real on what it takes to build a successful business today. We dissect the good and bad decisions they've made along the way that give a true and accurate picture of the journey of success and how you too can get there. Through this dialogue, you will learn the value of growing your network and surrounding yourself with power players and kings like today's guest. Grab your pen and notebook because we're about to dive in. All right, everybody, gathering the kings. Welcome back, Chaz Wolf. I've got Rod Gantis here with us. Welcome to the stage, Rod. Thank you, Chaz. Appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Thank you for coming. And, and we were just chatting about your name. And and uh, names are so important. And I know we, you and I have had so much organic, authentic conversation off air to this moment. But since we just were just for a second there talking about your name, and did, did you find that? I mean, you've run a podcast for for a long time. Like, like how, how have names played into you and your show, just your history? Like, names are so important, I think, you know? So it's interesting because there's a couple of things. I live in a town called San Clemente in Southern California, and it's a surf town. It's known for surf spots, breaks, all that stuff. I'm a scuba diver. I've never surfed a day in my life, right? Okay. And my name's spelled R-A-A-D. So everybody wants to call me Rad, right? Right. And I feel like a complete imposter because I don't surf. (laughs) And people are calling me rat. So I fought it for the longest time. And I would say, no, no, it sounds like R-O-D, but it's just spelled like that. And it's actually a functional word in the Arabic language. It means thunder. So see, the more I talk about this, the worse it's going to get. Right. (laughs) So, you know, now now we're talking Native American iconic elements and and spirit animals. Right. But it actually is a functioning word in the Arabic language. So I I would always tell people, no, it's rod. You know, it's like there's a a pause between the two A's kind of, right? Right. Well, then about seven years ago, I walked into a show. Somebody brought me in as a guest for a podcast back early days, like covered wagon days of podcasts. (laughs) And the guy who owns the radio station uh, was talking about baby boomers and aging and some of the issues that we don't really talk about in my in my professional capacity as an interior designer, we do modifications for people's homes so they can stay in them longer, becoming more and more critically important now as we get more and yeah. more aging generation, right? Yeah. And multi-generations, people taking care of parents and so forth. So the guy says, hey, we would be interested in doing a podcast on, you know, maybe like, um, you know, baby boomers. Would you be interested in doing it? Well, I said, I'm not a baby boomer. I'm, I missed it by one year. He says, don't worry, we'll call you a baby boomer wannabe and we'll just do the show. <laughs> Well, now, you know, so it's just, okay, fine, whatever. I was, I think I was like Jim Carrey for six months. I said yes to everything. My came my way. I just turned, I just turned 50 and I'm going, this is bonus zone right now. This is all extra time on my part. Right. Exactly. So I, then this is a very true story. So I'm like, well, well, how do you do this? And he told me, and and I had never been told you and I had thought I had this conversation about like voice for radio, never had been told anything even close to that. And ever since it's like, 
well, you know, of course you're doing a show with a voice, voice like that. I'm like, I never really thought uh, about it. Like the yeah. closest probably was, you know, I'm a fan of Looney Tunes and Mel Blanc and voiceovers. <laughs> and I thought, well, maybe I'll do, you know, a Daffy Duck or something. I will do it. But so he goes, this is the thing, you know, you go and get this done and then you get a voiceover and you get some music selected and whatever. So right. now we got to select the name for the show. So honest to God story, Shaz, I got onto Facebook and I said to everybody I know, and I've been online since 94. So I have a whole bunch of people on social. And I said, hey, I have an opportunity to do a show. And uh, what should it be called? Yeah. Right. And within 48 hours, no joke, there's about 120 suggestions. And then people were chastising me like this was a Friday. So Saturday, Sunday, they were chastising me for having not selected yet. Oh. And so I, I, so I turned it to them and I said, look, you know what? I want plausible deniability. You guys pick the name, right? Yeah. And it ended up being The Rad Life. Wow. Right? And, 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 it's and it's funny because I'm like, okay, screw it. I'm done fighting this. I am giving up. Okay, yep. it's The Rad Life. It got to the point where, because what you see is what you get with me. I mean, yeah. it, you know, whether I'm on camera or not, this is who I am. So... I would do things and I would share things and people basically started using the term rad life as an adjective. Yeah. And they would say, Oh, well, of course you would do that. It's the rad life. It's the, the rad, rad life. life. Yeah. Naturally. So I, I actually gave up. I start sitting on my car now. It's on my license plate. Right. <laughs> so it sounds like ROD, but yeah. I have become, you know, in my, as I've aged, I have become accepting of the fact that if you're going to call me rad, fine, call me rad. And, and might as well make it the rad life. I, I just love how you've embraced it. It's your identity now. You know, it's who you are. It's who you've actually always been. You just didn't know it. Yeah. And sometimes, know you know, how funny life is that way. Sometimes you just got to get out of your own way. Yeah. That's right. That's right. I love it. Well, tell us, Rod, what, what type of business? You kind of mentioned it briefly there, but tell us a little bit more yeah. about the business and, and what it is that you do uh, professionally. So I'm a professional interior designer. We specialize in, I will use it loosely as hospitality uh, project type projects. Uh, meaning spas, wellness centers, pretty much anything that sits in a hotel property in terms of different functions. So you got restaurants, you got bars, you got spas, you have accommodations, right? right. And I'm using right. that word versus guest rooms because we also now do like assisted living, memory care. Right. Uh, yeah, so it's projects of that nature. And what usually happens, with, and I've been doing that since 2003 under my own flag. Prior to that, I worked for a couple of really large heavy hitters in the industry. Hirsch Bedner out of Atlanta. They're like number one, number two, depending on billing any year for interior design for hotels. Wow. Uh, and uh, WAT&G, Wimberley, Allison, Tongue & Goo, which is out of California, Southern California, Orange County. And there, if you selected 10 projects, hotel projects at a five-star level and called them out, they were probably responsible at one point, they were responsible for probably about eight of them. Now they're yeah. probably responsible for six of them, you know, or maybe wow. seven. Um, it's it, Yeah. So I got a lot of good pedigree training at those yeah. locations. Um, but it started even earlier for me because my dad was is a civil engineer. He's since retired, but he's a civil engineer and he was on job sites. And I grew up in the Middle East and Kuwait and Abu Dhabi. I tell people when, when we were in Abu Dhabi and I was young, you know, we lived on a construction camp. Literally yeah. looked like a British colonial camp with white rocks around flagpoles and we wow. had a mess hall with Indian chefs from East Indian chefs that basically made curry every Friday. Wow. Um, there was nothing in the, in, in Abu Dhabi. There was uh, they, they were building the first airport and infrastructure bridge. My mom drove 30 minutes in a white VW bug to get groceries, you know, and yeah. sand everywhere. So yeah. I grew up on job sites. I grew up on job sites where my fun was 
crushing concrete samples uh, for core sample testing and seeing what the PSI yeah. would be. Can you <laughs> imagine being a wrecking Ralph with that kind of machine at the age of six? Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Right. Yes. Uh, it wasn't in like a, a heavy handed kind of like you go do engineering. I was going to go do engineering at my dad's alma mater. And it was, it's yeah. uh, it's a, a Jesuit university, almost like a Harvard equivalent in Lebanon, in Beirut, but there was a war going on. So I ended up going down a path of economics and we'll come back to this. We went back down the economics path in a university in Switzerland. I was 16 when I went to college and ended up going down sort of the economics undergrad Went and did a master's of marketing degree at the Peter Drucker Center in Claremont. Wow. And then lo and behold, I find myself where I'm back on job sites, working with a friend of my dad's who came over with some inheritance money from Syria doing some projects. And I'm back on job sites. And yeah. it's the very familiar environment for me. So then the economy in, in California, as far as real estate goes, in 1991 crashed. And I was like at home, like, what am I going to do with myself? And this thing comes in the mail and says, Interior Designers Institute Summer Certificate Program. And I'm like, cool, 12 weeks of arts and crafts. Let's go do arts <laughs> and crafts for 12 weeks, right? <laughs> and here we are, three, you know, this, that was what, 91, 90, 91, 92. So 94, I graduated with another undergrad in economic, and sorry, in interior design. Yeah, yeah. And at that point, there was a bit more clarity. Like sometimes okay. I think when you're young and you go to college, Unless you have had a sense of purpose, right. you're kind of just following either what a, a spelt out path is for you or right. sort of the next thing to do on this stumbled into trajectory is X, <laughs> right? Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to do economics. What are you going to do after that? Well, I'm going to go either get a law degree or go to go teach or I'm going to go work for the government, right? You know, so there's certain things sometimes that are like, this is the next step, right? Which is interesting because. You know, your show and you know what we talk about all the time is like with the entrepreneurship spirit, I think sometimes it gets derailed. Yeah. I think sometimes early on you get kind of derailed. I choose to think about it now at this point in my life as not necessarily a derailment, but maybe it was additional stuff you need to pick up along the way to make it more clear for you later on. Like, sure. you're, you know, it's like, yep. I know you're going to, this is one of the things that you're going to yeah, ask I me think, about. I think we all can relate to that. So you're on the right, you're on the right thing. We can yeah. all relate to that. Yeah. And, you know, one of the things that I know was on your list of questions for me was like, you know, books, right? So, uh, you know, the, the normal Stephen Covey biography of Stephen J Steve Jobs, you know, all of that sure. stuff, fine, whatever, right? But I think it's interesting right now coming out of COVID, coming out of sort of like a reset almost for a lot of us, if you choose to look at it that way. I mean, we were forced into a reset. The question is whether yeah. you see that as a, it was a gift or maybe right. it's a combination of, of things. There's a book by a gentleman by the name of Ryan Holiday who is uh, the head of an effort called The Daily Stoic. And it's about Stoicism. Marcus Aurelius, uh, Seneca, you know, a bunch of Greeks. And yeah. he's, got, he's got a couple of books. One of the books that he has, it's a, I think is an interesting read for people. It's called the, the Obstacle is the Way. Okay. And The Obstacle is the Way basically is not necessarily a business book. It talks about that sometimes those barriers or those barricades or those obstacles that get into in your way are actually in a way there to make you go through them to make you find the path sure and it's yeah. an it's an interesting way when you read that book coming out of two years of dealing with a pandemic that's right how we could maybe see some of these things that have happened uh in a different light right and sometimes it's really all it is right is that that slight other side of the coin thinking Yep. When you see something. 
So anyway, so we do exactly. we do interior design. We 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 do design build. I'm doing right now. I've got a landscape project. We're finishing an assisted living project. We're doing a cafe, a pharmacy, a restaurant, a medical spa in Beverly Hills. A couple of residential projects, which in the residential projects, be coming out of COVID, we're trying to bring in a layer of wellness, especially on the higher end homes. It's like right. we're putting in things called Zen dens, which are more like sort of a meditative space, gym. Uh, maybe steam and sauna, yep. uh, you know, and and geared towards the person who lives there. So it's like customized so that you can maintain a regiment of wellness yeah, in your own home because we just found out how important it is to be healthy. Yeah, yeah. And not on Zoom for 17 hours a day. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, that's Zoom zones. That's not Zen dance. That's <laughs> Zoom zones that we're doing, which because, you know, I'll, I'll just share this with you. And for 10 years or 20, 20, 20 years almost now, Everybody's been pushing for open floor plan, open floor plan, open floor plan. And I kind of put this image behind me on purpose, like uh, open floor plan, right? Uh-huh. Okay. Well, here comes here comes COVID and we're all sequestered and we're all in homes and we got uh-huh. some multi-generational households with yep. grandparents, right? Yep. And you got to do a Zoom call or, or Chaz has got to do a podcast. And you're uh-huh. like, where the heck do I do this? Because <laughs> I can't isolate myself into a space. Right. So some of the things that we are doing, you see over here, over on this side, You'll see uh, the screen, like sort of the wood, the metal screen and the glass. So yeah. those partitions have existed in, in commercial settings like WeWorks and places yep. of that nature, right? Yep. We're starting bringing some of that stuff into the house. So you can actually s- seal off areas as you need them yeah. for some of that functioning. So again, you know, it, it was an obstacle. We faced a, a challenge and we were basically ready to kill ourselves or drink ourselves <laughs> stupid, right? I threw you right. right. But- Here's where, what can we come out of it. We come out of it with something that's actually a quality of life enhancement, uh, enrichment, safe your sanity with your family around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It was funny that you say that about like, where am I going to do this? The last two podcasts that I've recorded have been with guys that uh, have businesses in their home and they've been in their truck. And I've been like, hey, hey, I'm just want to make sure like, is this, are you good? Like, I like, we're here to record a podcast. Are you, are you right. sure you're good? And he's like, yeah, man, uh, I got kids inside. And so like, this is the only quiet place that we're going to get. I'm like, hey, you know what? My- <laughs> That's fantastic. It's now the mobile podcast truck completely fine. As long as we're on the same page, but yeah, I mean, that's how it is. I mean, I walk outside the door right here and my two-year-old's probably downstairs doing something crazy, you know? <laughs> I mean, that I mean, I mean, and, and I think a lot of people thought, you know, coming out of COVID, everybody's going to go back to like, sort of, oh man, I'm craving that normal, that old normal. I think we found out that our quality of life could be better with some of our primary relationships. And now it's a matter of just how do we hybrid the situation? So we all live in environments, right? And so what I find myself is we have a skill set that we can bring to bear to help people with that, whether it's because they have elder parents at home or, you know, some bunch of people brought in their elder elder parents into the house during COVID because once they got clear for those first, you know, three months or whatever, there was only a way for them to see them. Otherwise they were constantly sequestered. Right. That's right. So it's forced us to do stuff that I think in, in some ways we may look, we may look back at this as being a bit of a blessing. Like the, it yeah. was a, of course. it was a major reset for us. Totally. Priorities. Absolutely. Um, I got to ask at this stage in the game, like obviously you've been doing this, like you said, for, for multiple decades at this point now, and, and you've seen transition, not only in, in, like the way that you do business and the actual services, like you're talking about, like you, what you're doing right now today, you didn't offer probably three years ago, or at least no, not in the this, residential space. 
Well, not even the commercial. I mean, the commercial spaces, the business has changed. When I started doing, for example, spas, it was almost like even on on high end hotel properties. It was like a it was like a green fees for golf. They would give green fees away for the men, and they would give spa treatments for the women in order to basically secure the volume business, the group business, right? Right. So it was a it was a loss leader, and yeah. now it has gotten to the point where you almost have to specialize in a particular side of things, whether it's like injectables or uh, Botox or, right. or like maybe IV drips or something like you'll see these places that are very, very micro specified on yeah. what they offer versus being a whole Just wellness a, thing. Right. Right. Because yep. real estate and value, the industry itself is now basically looking at how do I maximize real estate square footage for the maximum revenue generation. Right. And right. so, whereas before, Within 20 years, you know, we went from anybody can basically be a spa director to you got to have somebody that is a very savvy, very sophisticated person. Right. And that applies to restaurants. Look at what happened with restaurants during yep. COVID, right? I mean, you, you think that genie is going to go back in the bottle about alcohol sales and delivery? Heck no. Yep. There's way too much margins in there, right? I mean, yep. the outside patios, we'll see how that pencils out in California. They're supposed to be allowed to have outside dining in makeshift patios until the end of 2023. Some cities are trying to kick, you know, pull back on that. And now that the, that has been already become part of life, it's not like a yeah. summer period. Now it's like been two years that we're doing something, right? Businesses change. This is the thing that sometimes people forget. It's a living, breathing thing that is constantly teaching yeah. you and asking for you to adjust. Yeah, there's so many lessons in what you just said. So I want to try to dig into that. Um, with you being in not only the, the last couple of years of changes, but just the now a couple of decades, how did you get to the place where you realized that business was living and breathing so that you could accept that change happens all the time? Right. Cause, so, cause if you don't get to that place, then you, then you get wrecked by it. You're like, ah, change. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Very easy to be overwhelmed by it. Very easy to, uh, I was watching The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel the other day, and there was a guy that on there and says that, uh, he said, sometimes you just got to gotta go through what you got to go through. That's right. You just got to go through with what you got to go through. It was such a side thing in the show, but yeah. it just resonated like pretty much that's it, right? Sometimes you just got to go through what you got to go through. I think for me, it was kind of a, an unintended blessing. Going through the path of an economics degree, and then masters of marketing, uh, and then going into a field like this, I tend to basically have a left brain, right brain at all times. So I'm, a, I'm technically in a creative field. We are a provider of creative solutions, right? Right. It's for for me, it has never been just an aesthetic thing, for sure. Yeah. Right. And it's always about how does this solve the problem? I mean, I'm one of those guys that basically you should not start up as jigsaw puzzle in front of me because I will be stuck. I will not leave the room. I mean, it's happened over Thanksgiving because some people have this <laughs> tradition of starting a jigsaw puzzle at Thanksgiving. Oh, uh, my God. That's like the worst thing for me. I walk into a place with a jigsaw puzzle and we're watching it and it's like Thanksgiving and then people are watching the football game and blah, blah. And I'm like, why are you still there at 10 o'clock, Rod? Because uh -huh. there's more pieces I need to put in this. Uh -huh. If you're sort of a solver, a problem solver, and that intrigues you. That's right. Then I look at these businesses and I've said this to you before on off the air. I say, you know, we are, we design stages for people to perform their business on successfully. And I use that stage analogy just because it's a little easier for some, sometimes for people to understand. If you think of a theater, of a show, the staging of the show 
based on the show itself, is specific. The backdrops, even down to the scenes, setting the scenes, are specific. The lighting, the uh, almost the sense of the space, the costumes, all of that stuff, right? So as businesses, especially brick-and-mortar businesses, although it does transcend into virtual, I mean, look at what we're doing, right, with backdrops even, right? Uh, And people working from home and having to basically Zoom uh, in team environments, whatever, that's right. So, yep. what's your backgrounds? Are they going to are they going to be consistent as far as the branding for the company? Are they going to be respectful? I mean, I could have put a Hawaiian beach behind me, and I don't think I would have projected the exact the same same sense of what I do. Right? right. So, the crossroads for me, the sweet spot for me, has always been this revenue generation, uh, brands, uh, unique value proposition, and positioning the business in a way where it has a five to seven year sustainable shelf life. Because if we, if I always use as a benchmark, if I did my job right, if we did the space correctly, whether it's outdoor meeting space and interior, like I said, you know, assisted living, memory care, right? You don't call me for five to seven years because you don't need me. You right. go ahead and do your business, put the money into what you need it, into operations, staffing, growing your labor force. You don't have to continue to put it back into a capital reinvestment to keep your place up and current. Because right. shelf life is very much part of that. And, and if you don't believe me, look at places that open up and close. And then somebody else comes in and they sh- switch the logos on the wall. And that's all that is. And it works as well or as badly. Yeah. You, every business des- deserves, every business, every business person who's putting their sweat and tears into a business. And in some cases, the mom and pops, they're not deep pocketed they're taking second mortgages on their house to expand their business and opportunity to provide for their families that's right if their businesses fail there's a lot at stake yeah yeah the ripple effect so they deserve a yeah they deserve a sophisticated product that will actually help them see that through and perfect example again going i hate to go back continuously to covid but it's a learning a learning period for us those people who basically bucked against it had a uh, a bunker mentality versus a growth mindset, right. right? They suffered, and a lot of them are not around anymore. Those who embraced a growth mindset uh, and and ended up saying, "Okay, well, we're going to get ahead of the curve on deliveries," all of a sudden are no longer using Uber Eats, right? They're now basically got a couple of small little electric cars, and they're delivering their own food, and they kept their people working in delivery instead of being waiting on tables. Right. And now they are looking at a bigger business model. So yeah. Yeah. we are a part of that partnership, I feel. Yeah. Versus just, oh, here's a pretty space. Go ahead now. You know, it's your thing. Like I said, even more importantly, when it's brick and mortar. And if you're in a product and service business, that's pretty much what you do. You put on a show and people applaud by giving you money. Yeah. And if the show, look at this. Hey, Chaz's show is really great. I would think you should go see Chaz's show. If you put on a show that actually resonates and connects, then the word of mouth is going to be, hey, you need to go to that show. And I'm using the word show as an analogy, but you need to go to that business. You need to frequent that space. Yep. I love the analogy. I think that, and it can be, like you said, for any product, any service, any any sort of business, because the show being produced um, will speak. And how well you the produce audience. it. And you and I have talked about this too. How well you produce it is equally important. Yeah, and because, so for for just to break that down a little bit, the customer experience is in essence what you're referring to. And so when someone walks in to the show and and the 
the environment that they're in when they're getting their ticket, whether they're getting concessions, the smell of popcorn, you know, the whatever they're experiencing and yeah. our quote unquote show example here. How does that apply? Give me like general stuff. Like, by the way, Chaz, well, for, for, for everything. And, and, and it even starts even earlier. It starts when you pick up the phone and you call and make that reservation. Love and it. I'll tell you something very simple for people to pay attention to. And it continues all the way through after you've left, by the way. Okay, we'll touch on that in a minute. But but if you call a five-star resort property, this is a perfect example, right? You call to ask them something. You call another property. And I'm not picking on any property. It's just the, the internal cultural training, right? Yep. If you call a five-star property, chances are the answer you will get at the front desk when they pick up the phone is they will give you their name. Welcome to this property, even though you physically are not walked in there, Right. And they will be. They will say the following: something to the effect of, "How may I be of service today?" Yeah. Okay. Versus somewhere else may say, "How can I help you?" Right. Now listen to the difference between "How can I help you?" which is totally fine, yeah. and "How may I be of service?" So it starts from the very beginning. It starts from that eight by ten glossy ad that you saw. Mm-hmm. virtually on Instagram or on some kind of ad rag that you got in your mail that says, Hey, we are here and we're doing business. And what, what's usually in that five by seven or, you know, what's in that, in that ad, right. right. It's a visual. Yeah. It's a visual. Usually that's because we're very visual human animals, basically yeah. we're very visual. And so if the visual sets the stage, it sets the tone. Okay. So imagine when you see a clip art for a spa, or a restaurant, or a business, a tax place, versus their actual physical entry, their actual space, right? Yep. Now it's okay, you know, we'll just use a graphic guy and we'll just use some clip art. Well, that's great, but you're going to build the friggin' front desk, right? You're going to build the friggin' entry experience. Why don't you own it? Why don't you now basically have a collateral element that can be utilized and repurposed for setting the stage? And when people walk through your door, when that when that expectation that you have set is met and then exceeded, you have now basically garnered yourself a customer. And when they leave and you follow up with them with the same level of attention and personalized attention at that, uh, then they are now there for life until you fuck up, basically. Or you <laughs> they will ask somebody and they will share with you word yeah. of mouth because we all know what is the most cost-effective, impactful, long-lasting kind of advertising. It's word of mouth. Yeah, It's word of mouth, right? And I'll just share this with you personally. So so when I was in design school, I was doing great. It was the first time in my life where academically I was raising the bar on myself. This was a new experience for me. Like, I was always competing, you know, to stay within the realm of the appropriate grades for a class or getting the right things. And now it's like, yeah, you know, where else can I take this? It was kind of interesting, right? Very much in the entrepreneurial spirit of things. Absolutely. And and then I hit a wall. I just hit a wall. I couldn't, I couldn't design myself out of a paper bag. It was the equivalent of like a writer's block. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so I didn't force it. And this is kind of, Again, way before I reading Ryan Holiday's book, but you know, like the obstacle is the way, and so I I didn't force it. I kind of gave it room. And this is this is another thing I think with entrepreneurs and people with seasoning comes the realization that stillness is actually a powerful tool. 100%. If you're constantly trying to push, you start constantly thinking, "I got to perform like it, like a trained circus animal on the you know yep. whatever comes my way." 
Yep. You're going to burn out. You're going to lose the passion and the joy for what you do. That's right. You're going to affect everybody around you in a, in a way that makes you very unappealing, right? And you're basically going to yeah. look around and go, this is absolutely frustrating, unsatisfactory, and why the hell am I doing it? Or yep. worse. Or okay. worse. Heaven, yep. heaven forbid. So I left it alone. And in leaving it alone, I realized that the way I, per- I seem to design was very much because I was a product of a TV generation. And I'll, and I'll share with you why, <laughs> right? Because it still applies. It applies even more so, I think, now because we are in a very digital content-driven age, right? Yeah. So when you think about a sh- like a TV show, right? They give you like the, the trailer. There's the trailer. It gives you like, the, you know, uh-huh. this is what's going to, ha- this is what you can expect. It sets the expectations. That's right. Right. Then you go watch the movie, right? Or the show. Yeah. And the show builds on the seeded expectation. Right. And meets it. Right. And then it exceeds it. And what I mean by exceeds it, and this is what I find, found out that I did, is now that I've implanted in you what you can expect from a space. Right. As you travel through that space, as you engage in the functions of that space, there are certain things that may not be immediately blatantly in your face, but then you notice and you go, oh, I see what they did there. Oh, yeah, it connects directly to the, the synopsis of the space, the script of the story, right? right. And it is story, it's storytelling. It's storytelling. Yeah. We do it yeah. all the time. We are, as human beings, I think, wired for storytelling. Yeah. Right. If it wasn't the case, why would podcasts as a medium be so why would, popular? Exactly. Yep. Why would we be here? So, so, so it's always it's always been like that. You know, that you have to tell a story I through love, space. I love the. How, I mean, obviously, you're tying this back to what it is that you do so well. Clearly, you're just even your language uh, for the listener who's who's paying attention, but. To apply this to a listener who's probably a six-figure business, they're trying to get to that seven-figure mark, super practical here, is, okay, so I'm a service business and everywhere from, like you said, how me or my team answers the phone to the shirt that my guy's wearing when he shows up to the house or the presentation of the storefront when someone comes in. All the way personalized to the email on your personalized email on yep. your birthday that isn't just a canned regurgitated template. Yep. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. The the customer journey is really what we're defining. And so for you, you obviously play a role in in a piece of that, but in in your greater business, what what for you has before you got to the the like let's just say the stage now of like the seven figure plus when yeah. you were when you were grinding, when you were just kind of picking things up and like you said you were saying yes to everything. When you're in that stage because that's that's more of the warrior stage. That's more of the six figure. I just got to say yes to everything to get enough to right. get to that point. Right. Where do I hone in? Is it the whole customer journey? Is it one piece over the nether? Like what would you say to that person who's like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so overwhelmed." You hone in on the relationship part. Okay? Give give you hone them, in give, on the, Yeah. You know, you hone in on the relationship part. You hone in on on what it is that is why are they dealing with you? Why, why is it you, you with a capital Y right. versus just a provider? Yeah. This is, the, this is both scary and courageous. And, and you know, you kind of like on a watch, you're on the high uh, trapeze without a net kind of thing, right? Yeah. Because yeah. you got to believe, you got to get yourself to the point where you genuinely, genuinely in your bones believe that what you're giving when, when you're providing is unique. Yeah. And in order for it, because and valuable and genuinely not just talk it, but walk the talk. Yeah. 
right? I mean, this is, this is, these are basic things that we all know from day one, but we don't really trust. We yeah. don't really are willing to risk, you know? And so when you say, you know, like that wire stage and you're grabbing for everything and so forth, even when I was doing that, honestly, Chaz, I knew in my DNA core yeah. that the things that I wanted to do were the things that both had two things. They were, they were interesting, creative, challenging, and at the same time provided a genuine value for somebody, right? And if it met those criteria, then I was really happy and I was in the zone and I was really providing and giving it my all. And it was more or less all the time, most of the time, effortless. It was so like just part of you, right? Yeah. This is who you are. And so I, I see a lot of people who embrace at what they should be, mm-hmm. what they need to look like. Versus just who you are, and if and 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 if it's the right people you are dealing with, the people that are going to be repetitive customers, that are ones that are basically going to really value what you bring to the table, they want the real you. They want that genuine relationship. You know, we talk we talk kind of a little bit, almost like at a cliche. You know, you're, are you you transactional? Are you relational? Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. relational also is risky. Because you got to put yourself out there. Like you got to be you. You can't just be, I'm relational. Then here's my script that I follow (laughs) to be relational. (laughs) It doesn't work that way. Um, So I think, and and I think when it gets to that point, it gets to that point where you're talking between six, seven, seven figures or whatever. I mean, let's talk about it as six to seven value. Okay. Let's just say value because it's life value, right? It's a record. It's a reflection of. It's reflection of. It's not necessarily just the dollar signs, right? Yep. I think it really comes down to that. And I'll share with you something I, I encountered back in 98 when I was doing the first spa work that I was doing while I was working for Hirschbadner out of Atlanta. And I was stationed um, at the island of Mauritius in the middle of the Indian Ocean. The island is so small that the word M, half of the letter M in Mauritius is already in the ocean. It's that small. <laughs> okay. And for people who want a reference point, so there, there's three island clusters, Mauritius, Reunion and Rodrigo. Rodrigo was where we have a military base where we flew planes over in the Gulf War and wow. bombed Iraq. So, so Mauritius is a very much a hospitality country, right? Yeah. It's it's, it's uh, five star. Uh, I mean, it, it, there's not a lot of Americans. It's like almost like twelve hours to Paris and then twelve hours to there. But wow. it's an amazing, beautiful, beautiful little spot in the world. So I was there. Because out of three offices, they couldn't find somebody to go over there for three months on white sandy beaches and tropical islands. So, yeah. you, you know, I, I'm, I, I think when they asked me, all I could think of is, do they have scuba gear there or should I basically <laughs> ship them? Is this a Isn't trick? It? Am I being tricked here? <laughs> this is a Friday afternoon. You asked me to go to an island in October. Instead of spending October to December in Atlanta, I can be in the Indian Ocean on white sandy beaches. Right. Yeah. <sighs> Can I get back to you on Monday? Honestly. <laughs> so, so I'm there and working on this project. Now, the project is a five-star property. Um, it's been operating for 25 years. They're doing a major remodel on it. They're putting in the spa. And along the way, not part of our scope per se, I was asked to see if I could help with the new staff cafeteria. Okay. Now, keep in mind, this is the kind of property where people show up with a script from Hollywood and, you know, a, a, a jet stream plane dropping them off for a week to 10 days to read the script. Right. A villa, which at the time was about $900 a, month, a night, right? 
people leave their Rolex watches on the counter, their laptops, they run to the beach, and there's that kind of place. Yeah. So what made that place that way? It was the staff. Yeah. Can you imagine having a staff that was disgruntled in a place like that where they're trying to basically could be that kind of service? It was yeah, never going to happen. Never going to happen. So we're doing this cafeteria. And I'm, I'm, I'm purposely not saying the name of the property because this is not necessarily a positive thing about the property <laughs> when it comes to this. They, they, they saw it through. But okay. So the cafeteria was for the staff. And they're taking all these like old artwork and things from the old guest rooms and replacing them with all new. Right. I was sitting there in one meeting one morning and they were talking about how they didn't want to be a a five star property anymore. They wanted to be a six star property. There's no such thing as a six star property. Right. It doesn't exist. So five diamond, five star. But they wanted to be that. Yeah. In the same afternoon of that day, I sat in on a meeting where we're talking about finishing out the staff cafeteria. And the same people who wanted to achieve a six-star level were the ones that were trying to literally do the bare minimum for the staff cafeteria. And I'm like, you guys want to be a six-star property and you don't realize that you are needing to basically care for your staff. Yeah. That is providing that kind of service. Exactly. So, And it was very simple. We repurposed some of the stuff that was coming out of these these rooms that the staff had been working in where the guest experience was for 25 years. And we made that part of their cafeteria experience. We we treated them like they are a valuable resource. Yeah. Right. So when we talk about relationships, we talk about really wanting to go from that six to the seven. It really comes down to this. You got to be who you are. You got to be willing to show who that is. You'll be willing to basically... Uh, be humble, efficient, bring what you bring to the table. But you also got to basically really care for that relationship. You can't can't just pretend to care for people. When it's at that level, the people you're dealing with know. They know. They can see it a mile away. 100%. Yeah, anybody can can have a business. Anybody can start something from scratch and get it to a specific level without having to care. We've all experienced that business. But to your point, to get it to the level where where there's an experience that, that this is a, a long lasting thing, whether it's a shop, whether it's a service company, a home service, whatever it is, if this company is going to be around for 10, 50, 100 plus years, there's going to be an experience. Why do people keep going to that same Italian restaurant where the guy basically greets <sighs> them at the door like they're part of family? Right. They right? love it. Because it's, yeah, there's other places that open. There's Luna Girls that open. There's all this stuff open. Why do we still go to that Italian restaurant? Yeah. Two, three times a week. Yeah. Right. I mean, you can't, it's a legacy. You can't just be working. And I just mentioned this to you. Part of where I'm at right now, too, is very clearly you can work for a living. Right. Where I'm at, I am right now is it's not enough. I got to work for a legacy. Yeah. And the legacy has to be it. It's not a, it's not a grandiose, it's all about me, build me a statue. It's a legacy of no. what are you really leaving behind? What's left? Exactly. Yeah. No, I think that that's huge. And I think that you know, using the the warrior king language like we like to, it's like, you know, you have to become the warrior, right? To win some battles. You got to fight off the enemy. You got to grow your business. You got to, you got a nose to the grindstone. You got, it's got to be selfish almost even. It's got to be right. about you for a period of time. Right. right. But at some point you have to start looking outwards. You got to build your team. You got to look at your community, your family. I'm trying to figure out how to, how to spend more time with my, my three, five and, and eight year old, as opposed to not, you know, because we don't have 
a finite resource. Some resources we can then use to buy others like time. So I love where you're, where you're talking your head's at there as far as legacy. Okay, Rod, uh, speed round, right? <clears throat> First question is this. If you could only pick one metric in your business to track forever and ever, what would it be? That's a real value. Return business. Repeat, repeat business. I would, I, yeah, I, that, that would be it for me because that's really what, what is meaningful. If we've, we've done our job right, then they're coming back or, and I, when I say repeat business, it could also include referrals through repeat business. Yeah. Uh, I think that would be the only metric that really is value for me. That's good. There's been a lot of talk about experience today and, and that ties right into that. Obviously, if you, if you provide the experience and then value, then they're going to refer and or come back themselves. I, lo- I love that. You know, our, our old slogan used to be, we don't design interiors, we design experiences. Uh, I love that. Yeah. Which I think, I think actually every business should listen. They should write that down. Um, so say it to us one more time, because I just heard it, but I want to see it. I want to hear it again. Don't design interiors. We design experiences. And when I say experiences, it's not just the physical space and the experience you get from the physical space. I was dealing with the client. Yeah, I love that. Love that. We don't design. Did you, did you get all this? Yeah, yeah. We it, it finally came through to us. We design experiences, and I think that we all, uh, as entrepreneurs, are designing experiences, even in our own life. If we can even tie that back to what we we're just talking about, as far as time being luxury, if we don't design our calendar, our life, which includes mm-hmm. the time, the stillness, then then the experience that we have isn't going to be high quality either, and we're not going to so, come back. <laughs> So here's 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 the truth. So 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 again, the old slogan used to be and forever, and it was a flippant thing. I said it a while ago, and then somebody quoted me on it, and I realized, wait a minute, we've got a slogan, and it was, we don't design interiors, we design experiences. We changed it recently to designs for your life, right? Because of what exactly what you just said, and you're right. If you don't, and it, by the way, if you don't design it, it gets designed for you by circumstance, by other in, external inputs, uh, yep. pulls, and on your on your time. Yeah. It's all about experience. Yeah. Your own experience, by the way, as well as the experience that's, that's projected. That's right. That's right. So much that goes into that. I love it. Okay. So do you intentionally network or mastermind with other entrepreneurs? I'm doing it right now, aren't I? Uh, I would say so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, I do. Real quick. I, what what I have do. you gotten from yeah. a value perspective, like rubbing shoulders with other guys or gals in the industry yeah. or just business? Well, you know, you can't be really an entrepreneur without being always curious and always open and learning, right? That That's that. one thing that I think identifies that breed of people is that we're constantly learning. We're constantly curious. We're constantly, you know, um, in a way, admitting to ourselves that we don't know everything. We need more, right? I think the balance of that with the rest of your life is where we get into trouble sometimes and where we don't. Yeah. Um, and you're smiling because I know you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so so um, I think uh, the networking, is it has to be of value. And I think the only way you start realizing how to value or, or how to identify valuable networking is when you have gone through enough of it that isn't. Yeah, no, that's good. When you've done enough BNIs and you've done enough, you know, the tips and you've done all of that stuff and you got to go through it to know. Yep. Yep. You learn in a quick time or a long time, whatever you, you know, it's all about relationships. And, and by the way, the networking sometimes isn't just necessarily so like end goal focused. It's yeah. more, it's some, sometimes the real valuable networking is the stuff that's the longer term return. 
right? Yes. Because again, we go back to what we were talking about. It's relationships. relationships. And you don't, I mean, you and I are sitting here, we've had a couple of conversations. You know, I think we, we gel and we have a synergy. And I think over time, it'll just get better. But, you know, if you go into a situation where, you know, like we're like, what I'm asking for is this. Yeah. Those are a transactional kind of network. Yep. Right. And they have their place. Yep. But the real, real valuable networking, the stuff that's with you, that's a foundational part of your life, of who you become, of how you grow, yep. that stuff is, you need to be selective. Yeah. And I think as, as you get more seasoned in life and you get older, maybe, or maybe just seasoned, those because it doesn't really have to do anything with age, you start being a little more selective where your networking is, where you, yep. again, spend your time. Yeah. And, and, or, uh, and like time equals money or, or effort. Yeah. To your point earlier, the new luxury is time. And so when you're considering your time or the money that you're spending to do these things, uh, it's not just the return of money necessarily, but sometimes it is. Um, I love the, the perspective of the relationship because that's that's genuinely how I feel. And I think a lot of folks in business want it to be like that, but they just haven't really found that place where they can they can do it. And so I think that that's great that we can agree on that. Though, unfortunately, the way the things that are set, are set up are very transactional. Yeah. Unfortunately, the way things are is very quarter return, right? It's not long-term strategy. I mean, I remember the, being in, in business school, we talked about how the Japanese had an upper hand because they basically planned their return strategies over a five-year period versus a quarterly return, right? So right. any negotiation with Americans with a mindset of quarterly returns, where they were at a disadvantage because right. the Japanese could wait them out, basically. And the longer yeah. they sit quiet and still, the more we gave away. You know, because we need to steal that deal. So I think I think we need to maybe start considering not saying time is money anymore and yeah. start saying things like time is value. Yeah, love that. Very good. Okay, last question, Rod. Yes. If you lost it all, what would you do? I mean, other than just go, you know, open a little falafel shack on some somewhere. <laughs> well, if that's the answer, we want to hear about it. What would you do? Well, like if you lost it all, like what would your mindset be? And then physically, what would you what would your action be? Knowing, knowing what I know right now in terms of what would be your pursuit of happiness, I think I would probably, I mean, there's a reality of life. We need to basically be able to sustain ourselves. We need to be able to deal with the world like it is. And there's a financial component to it. The question is, what would you do to do that? And where is your, where is your sweet spot for contentment and acceptance of, you know, like real gratitude of being fulfilled, right? Right. So at this point, I think, again, I would, I, the reason why I don't think I would ever stop doing what I'm doing is because I'm, 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 I get a thrill out of solving problems. Right. Now, if I was to do something that was a business venture, that was sort of a passionate pursuit, that was completely like, you don't really care how much, as long as it's enough to sustain me, I don't know. I'd probably open up like a scuba, a scuba diving outfit somewhere near water. And probably yeah. there will be next door to it, some sort of Mediterranean falafel restaurant. Or something. <laughs> you can't just scuba dive. You got to eat too. You got to eat afterwards. Um, where you I, I think, <laughs> right. And, and, you know, it's funny because now that you've asked me this, I haven't really thought about it ever to any kind of level of depth other than being flippant about it yeah. is it actually would provide me the ability to interact with people that I would find, you know, like you, you, there's, 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 like a, there's no layers sometimes when it's scuba diving or sitting right. around eating something you know, with your feet in the sand. There's a certain rawness to it, right? Yeah. And so I think that would feed my my networking needs. That would feed my relational needs. That would probably put money in my pocket. Yeah. And yeah. I could probably shut it down at five o'clock when the sun goes down because we can't scuba dive anymore. <laughs> you can't scuba dive anymore. I, Rod, I, I hear a new thing coming potentially. <laughs> 
I'll let you know whether we call it rat something or the other. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The rad life. You can get your scuba dive and your and your uh, your curry and or, your falafel. Or, yeah. Your falafel, your falafel yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Good. Okay. Well, Rod. Um, honestly, dude, you you have provided us a a fresh perspective. I think that anybody listening today was able to take away multiple pieces of wow, that's great. Let me write that down. So thank you for your service today. Uh, for for all of us listening. Yeah, absolutely. You've been, you've been incredible. Yeah. Thanks Um, for the opportunity, man. It's always good time spending with you. Yeah. Well, that's great. And, and we wish you the best of luck in, in all of your experiences that you're designing um, as well as potentially the new shop with, uh, with with diving. You just never know. So um, I don't know. Chaz, you sound sound like you want to either get us some certification in scuba diving or getting (laughs) some Mediterranean food, but you're welcome anytime. I was going to say, you got to have me out. I mean, naturally, right? Uh, this of is course. what relationships are for. Right? <laughs> of, course, of, course, of course. Where right, else right. are you going to do your podcast next? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> we got to do one live right there on the beach. You're going to be the only guy. So this will be great. Well, Rod, thanks so much for coming. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Have a great day, Chess. Thank you again. All right. All right. Thanks for listening to Gathering the Kings. We hope you got a ton of value today and learned a thing or two about taking your business to seven figures and beyond. If you desire more and want a community around you to help you get there, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com. That's gatheringthekings.com. And I want you to apply for our next Becoming a King 90-Day Intensive. We are extremely exclusive by nature as a group. What that means is that we're really wanting only the entrepreneurs who take their business and targets super serious to apply. So if that's you, you think you got what it takes to level up your business, I want you to go to gatheringthekings.com and apply. And we will see you on the other side.